Welcome to the 2015 Faith Forward podcast series. The following presentation was recorded live at the 2015 Faith Forward gathering, April 20th through 23rd at St. James Cathedral in Chicago. During these four days, hundreds of conversation partners from around the world and spanning dozens of denominational traditions gathered to equip, resource, and inspire one another toward innovative theology and practice in ministry with children and youth. This podcast episode features Marsha Bungie's presentation at this gathering, which she titled Biblical Perspectives on Children and Our Obligations to Them, Wisdom for Families, Congregations, and the Worldwide Church. Today what we're going to be doing is exploring biblical perspectives on children and our obligations to them, trying to mine some wisdom from the Bible here in beautiful, windy Chicago. Well, just a word about myself. Uh, Just a few miles south of here, and many years ago, I was a graduate at the University of Chicago, and I was studying historical theology. Now, even though University of Chicago is a great school, and even though I later pursued research in Germany at some of the best institutions in the world, at that time, and sometimes still today, um, thinking about children and childhood was not really part of serious theology. It was really seen as something beneath the serious theologian. If I would have said at that time, hey, I'm kind of interested in studying what theologians have said about children, I think people would have said, that is so cute. Oh my gosh. You know, you can go down and and maybe talk to some educators, maybe some Sunday school teachers. But hey, we are serious theologians. We are studying in Deutschland, and we don't have time for the kinder, right? So... um, What turned my attention then to children? Well, I became a professor of undergraduates teaching young people 18 to 22 years old. I also have two children of my own, and those two experiences will certainly turn your attention to children in childhood. Once I had children, was surrounded by undergraduates, I started asking a lot of questions about children, about the situation of children in our schools, in our homes, in our country, and around the world. I'm also a scholar and um, in the areas of theology and ethics. And I did start wondering, well, didn't any theologian say anything about children in the whole history of Christianity? And once I started asking that simple question, what did theologians say, if anything, about children and what we owe them? Wow, we found a lot of wonderful resources. First of all, doing a book um, on Christian theologians and their perspectives on children. A lot of beautiful resources there. They said a lot, actually, in the history of Christianity. Then I had some wonderful biblical scholars like Walter Brueggemann, Pat Miller, come together and revisit texts from the Bible they had already studied and written books about um, to just see what is there in the Bible about children that we might have missed once we asked these questions about who they are and what we owe them. And um, we're doing, we just did a couple other books now on what uh, perspectives on children in world religions. And the last book with Cambridge was on Jewish, Christian, Muslim perspectives on children. <clears throat> so there's a lot of resources out there that we haven't mined, I think, because we have thought of children in theology as something marginal, something not part of our serious theological reflection But it just seems absurd that we think that, because how can we talk about the church, 
if we don't include children? How do we talk about justice when one-third of the people on this planet are children, people under 18? So when we are thinking about any of these major themes in our theology and practices, we really need to think about children and include them. So uh, I just want to talk to a little bit about two important questions that I address uh, in all of my research in those last four books, and two questions that come up again and again in the growing research in childhood, and childhood studies, by the way, is a booming, booming area in academic studies, like gender studies, women's studies, now childhood studies is becoming very important in many universities around the world. But so whether you're talking about history, looking at childhood in history or in theology or in the social sciences, two important questions uh, that come up in all periods of history, throughout the centuries, in all cultures, and for all of us in this room here today who care about children, who work with and on behalf of children, are, first of all, what are our conceptions of children? How do we think about them? How do we perceive children, whether in our families, in our faith communities, or in our culture? What are they? Who are they? And secondly, what are our commitments to them? What are our obligations? How do we think about our responsibilities to children? Not just our own children, but children in our midst and children around the world. Our conceptions of children and commitments to them do vary across cultures, across religious traditions, within religious traditions, and um, in, around, across countries today. And you'll find if you have a very narrow conception of children, you're bound to have a very narrow conception of your obligations and commitments to children. So the two are very much interrelated. So what I want to do this morning is reflect on these two questions by exploring six biblical conceptions of and commitments to children and just emphasizing the need to incorporate all six of these perspectives. These perspectives are not exhaustive, but they're important and central and interesting. And by holding them together, not isolating them, I think we can strengthen our commitments to children. So I hope that after looking at these six and talking about the importance of holding them together, we can all discover ways to renew and to strengthen our own conceptions and commitments of children in our midst and around the world. The Bible expresses six insightful and central perspectives about children and our obligations to them. And by holding them together and not keeping them separate or in isolation from one another, I think we can do a lot to broaden our own conceptions of children and to strengthen our commitments to them in our families, in our ministries, in our work, and in our advocacy. The first one is, that the Bible and the Christian tradition emphasize that children are gifts of God and sources of joy who come from God and belong to God. Since they're gifts of God, sources of joy, adults are to enjoy them and be grateful for them. Many passages in the Bible speak about children as gifts of God, signs of God's blessing, and sources of joy. Sarah rejoices at the birth of her son, and in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says, when a woman is in labor, she has pain. But when her child is born, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy of having brought a human being into the world. 
Um, many Christian theologians, too, have emphasized this biblical theme. The Moravian 17th century educator Comenius, really interesting guy, said children are dearer than gold or precious jewels or silver, pearls, and gems. And Martin Luther, the 16th century reformer who was a biological father of six children and adopted four, emphasized that children are treasures from heaven, blessings from God, and gifts of God. So you might think a moment to yourself too. When have you lately experienced joy or delight around or with children and young people? What examples come to your own mind? A second important perspective from the Bible is that children are whole and complete human beings made in the image of God. They are fully human. So adults are to treat children like adults with dignity and respect. The basis of this claim is certainly Genesis 1.27 that states God made humankind male and female in God's image. And it follows that children, like adults, have intrinsic value. Now, although most of us in this room would certainly think about children as fully human, as complete human beings, there are many times in our history and in our world today where we kind of think of children as less than human or subhuman or on their way to being human or not quite human um, or kind of as pre-adults. We all know too well the many ways that children are still treated as less than human, sometimes in our homes, sometimes in our faith communities, sometimes in our communities, our country, and in countries around the world. And we also know that the simple act of truly affirming the full humanity of children can have life-changing and inspiring results. I'll just say a word about um, one friend of mine who inspires me in how he really um, provides a lesson to anyone around him how all children are fully human. His name is Shifra Wold Mikhail. He lives in Ethiopia. He was once a human rights lawyer, but he said, I don't know if my country's going to have any hope unless we put some of our energies into helping and serving children. So he gave up the law profession, and he started an, a wonderful center called the Child Development Training and Research Center in Ethiopia. And he is someone who has a heart for children, who sees each child as fully human, even the most marginal of the marginal, poor children, sexually exploited girls, or AIDS orphans. So we all might think about who or what inspires us to see children as fully human. A third important perspective in the Bible is that children are also orphans, neighbors, and strangers. They're among the most voiceless, vulnerable people on the planet, and they're often victims of injustice. So the Bible commands us to provide for, to protect, and to seek justice for all children, including orphans, the poor, and the marginalized. Adults are to care not only for their own children in their own family or community, but for all children in need. And there are so many beautiful passages in the Bible that command us to love and seek justice for the vulnerable. Deuteronomy says, for example, the Lord your God executes justice for the orphan and the widow and loves the strangers, providing them food and clothing. Or Jesus commands us to love your neighbor, even your enemies, as yourself. 
So informed by these and other passages, Christians across centuries and today have done much to help feed and clothe children, to value adoption, and to support adoption. And they have been outspoken advocates for children's rights and political policies that protect children and families. Now, this commitment is something um, that really needs to be shared by families, congregations, church-wide offices, and a host of national and international faith-based organizations, agencies, hospitals, and advocacy and lobbying ministries. And some of these wonderful institutions are represented here today. There are many stories, I'm sure, of people who've shown compassion to children in need in your communities or in your families. In my own tradition, uh, Lutheran, uh, there's just a couple examples. A guy named Franca was born in 1663. He went into the town of Halle, Germany, 30% poverty. He opened up an orphanage in his home, starting with three or four kids. But with just in, in a few years, there were 100 orphans. He started a school. He started a pharmacy. He started a book um, publishing house and helped found the first pediatric hospital in Germany. Or another wonderful uh, person, Lema Bowie. Have some of you heard of her? That movie, Pray the Devil Back to Hell? That is the movie about her work. She's a Lutheran in Liberian, uh, Liberia. Lutheranism is growing um, in Africa in many places, including Liberia. And uh, she worked with, she was lived in Liberia during that terrible civil war that lasted 14 years. And she was sick of seeing girls being raped, boys taken as child soldiers. And she was able to gather together Christian and Muslim women for a nonviolent peace movement that helped end that terrible civil war. And that's how she earned her Nobel Peace Prize in 2011. So just tell some of those stories. I think young people appreciate hearing authentic stories of service. And they don't know these stories from your tradition or from the tradition of uh, the Christian tradition. Okay, a fourth important point is that children are developing beings who need instruction and guidance, and adults are to bring them up in the faith, helping them to love God and their neighbors and, as themselves. So a lot of biblical texts talk about the responsibility of adults to instruct, guide, and bring children up in the faith, including that famous passage from Deuteronomy 6, that you are to love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your might. Keep these words I'm commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you're at home and when away and when you lie down and when you rise. In other words, you really should be teaching and talking about faith at all times. Now this is also a cooperative effort and an intergenerational effort that takes place in the home, in the congregation, and in the wider church. So faith formation isn't a task that we can outsource or just insource. We all need to work together. And I appreciate some of the theologians in the past who've emphasized these kinds of beautiful practices that help develop faith formation. Um, there are so many of them praying together reading the Bible together, singing, serving others, or participating in the sacraments. In my own life, 
one of the powerful practices we have in our family is gratitude attitude. I was happy they sang that song about gratitude. Um, every night we do say something about our concern, but we also talk about something for which we're very grateful. We do it very specifically. You can't just say, oh, I'm so grateful for my house, or I'm for grateful for food. You, you have to be real specific. Like, uh, oh, I'm so grateful for the broccoli we had at supper. It wasn't too mushy, and it wasn't too crispy. It was steamed just perfectly. Or my son used to say, I'm grateful for reading. But then he started to say, I'm really grateful for the way these characters are developing in the novel I'm reading. I can't wait to get to the next page. My son just went to college a couple of years ago, and, and he called me. And you know, they kind of think, well, we know quite a bit when we go to college better than my parents. But he did call me one day, and he goes, Mom, that gratitude attitude thing we did at night, that was a really good idea. Uh, and uh, he kept it up with his girlfriend over Skype. Every night they'd say something for which they're grateful. So you can think about the important practices in your own faith tradition that help to nourish your own faith and help to nourish the faith of young people. I want to just lift up a couple real quick quotes about the importance of the home, because I don't know if we honor enough the important role of parents uh, and have the language for it. But in the past, people have said some very beautiful things about the importance of parents and their role in faith formation. For example, Luther said that moms and dad are really apostles, bishops, and priests to their children, for it is they who make them acquainted with the gospel. Or Chrysostom in the fourth century said that the family is really a little church. And by a little church, it means, yes, you read together, you sing together, you read the Bible together, you pray together, but you also, as the little church, serve the poor together. That's part of what it is to be a family, as a little church is serving those around you. Or Bushnell, a 19th century theologian who said, religion never thoroughly penetrates life until it becomes domestic. And what he means by that is these practices have to take place every day in the home. They're domestic. They're part of daily life, not just something you do once a week or once a month. And I think that's really important advice, and we can do more to encourage parents. Um, I feel very sad. Sometimes I teach 18 to 22-year-olds, and a lot of them were brought up as Christians. About 80% of my students are. I teach at a church-related college. But they say often they never pray together with their parents in the home. They didn't talk about faith. They certainly didn't talk about money. Um, and so I think there's a lot we could do to help encourage parents to carry out these practices with their children and talk about faith in their home. A fifth uh, perspective from the Bible is that children are sinful creatures. They're social agents with growing moral capacities and the responsibilities. Adults can help children by modeling for them compassion and accountability. Adults can help children by cultivating with them practices of mutual confession, forgiveness, and renewal. So there are several passages, including by Paul, that everybody is under the power of sin. And Christian theologians, when they talk about children as sinful, are basically saying a couple things. First, they're born in a state of sin. Hey, surprise. You know, your parents aren't perfect. Your school's not perfect. Your community's not perfect. And secondly, as you grow and develop and your moral capacities grow, 
you sometimes do things that aren't kind to people, that aren't kind to yourself. And as you grow and develop morally, you do commit some sins against yourself or against others. Um, so on the surface, sometimes people don't like to talk about children as sinful. They see it as very negative and destructive. And certainly, if you only see children as sinful, then you do have a very narrow view of children. And we do have chapters in the history of Christianity where people who saw children only as sinful, well, then what, what are you supposed to do as a parent? Beat the hell out of them, right? Beat the hell out of them. So that's a very distorted view. But if you don't talk about children's growing moral capacities, you know, when are you going to start talking about accountability? Because if you just say children are innocent and pure, tell what age? Hmm, 13, 14, oops, maybe it's a little too late. You have to be all the way along talking about their growing moral capacities and responsibilities and really help them talk about when they've made mistakes and you've made mistakes. Um, so we could do a lot to help children develop responsibility and the language for and practices of forgiveness and confession. We can do it too by saying, I'm sorry. And social scientists now say, parents hardly ever say that. But it's a very powerful thing when you can say, I'm sorry, wow, I made a mistake. Can you forgive me? That teaches a child a lot. And then just the final one, another very important perspective is, is that in the Bible, children are models of faith endowed with particular strengths, gifts, and talents to contribute to the common good now and in the future. So adults really need to listen to and learn from children. They need to honor their contributions and provide them with a strong education. And there are lots of passages, certainly Jesus saying, we must receive the kingdom as a little child. The stories about Daniel or the young David. Or in Acts, it says the Spirit doesn't have any age restrictions. The Holy Spirit is poured out on all flesh. And so that's important to remember when we think about children and the gifts they offer to us. Um, so that's the sixth one. I just want to say sometimes people talk about parental authority, but all theologians, if they think about children, say parental authority is strictly limited because a child's ultimate loyalty is to God. And so Luther said a parental authority is strictly limited. It doesn't extend to the point where it can wreak damage and destruction to a child, especially its soul. You could add some insights from your own experience about the strengths gifts and contributions of children. It's something we didn't emphasize when I grew up, but it's certainly a very important perspective from the Bible. So the one thing you've got to do, though, we all got to do, is hold on to these six perspectives. Keep them in tension and not in isolation from another one, from one another. Because there's a lot of dangers of narrow views of children. If you neglect the six perspectives and others and focus on just one or two, then our conceptions of children can be too narrow and distorted, and we risk treating children in inadequate and harmful ways. Let me just give you a couple examples. If you say, oh, children are gifts of God. They're sources of joy. They're so cute. I love them. Yes, you'll delight in them, but maybe you neglect to nurture and guide them. Or if you say, um, well, I'm viewing children primarily as sinful. They need help. They need instruction. You'll do a lot to help educate them, maybe, but maybe you'll neglect to delight in them and enjoy them. 
or if you view children primarily as victims, and this happens in child advocacy sometimes, they're only victims, you might neglect hearing their own voices and recognizing their own strengths and agencies. Or if you perceive children mainly as social agents, hey, they're participants, they have a lot of gifts and strengths, you might neglect to protect and guide them. Also, if you focus primarily on nurturing your own children, then you might neglect reaching out to children in need. So I'm sure you have examples of other dangers in your communities and in your situation. Uh, I think it's, we can avoid these dangers by incorporating a complex view of children that holds together these six biblical perspectives. Holding on to the biblical paradoxes and seeing children as fully human and made in the image of God, yet also developing and in need of instruction. Seeing them as gifts of God and sources of joy, but also capable of selfish and sinful actions. Seeing them as vulnerable and in need of protection, but also models of faith for us, strong, insightful models of faith who are endowed with gifts and strengths. Um, so you kind of need to have really good vision, because I had to get new glasses lately, and I couldn't believe how many kinds of lenses you can buy. You can buy these bifocal, trifocal, multifocal, variofocal. It was a little confusing, but I started thinking about how the Bible really urges us to have a multivocal lens on children, to switch from monofocal to multifocal and hold these different perspectives because once we have a big perspective of children, we'll have a, a stronger view of our commitments to them. Well, I need to close, but you could see how these, these perspectives would have implications for your ministry, whether you're working with families or thinking about your own family or thinking about worship and really including young people, not just seeing them as marginal, but really as agents in the worship service, strengthening your youth and family ministries, so they're truly intergenerational and multidimensional, multifaceted, not just education or just service, but both, service and education, um, relationships and spiritual development, uh, or advancing advocacy efforts here and abroad if we saw all human beings and all children as fully human, or supporting faith-based organizations that work with children at risk, and certainly strengthening theological education so attention to children isn't just shoved into one area of theological education. So I hope by incorporating these perspectives um, about children and obligations to them, we can all more wholeheartedly love, care, and seek justice for children I think the Bible prompts us, whatever our situation or place of responsibility, to keep renewing and thinking about and, and strengthening our conceptions of children and our obligations to them in our midst and around the world. Um, the Bible can really open up your perspective. I'll close with this image of um, 500 years ago. It's by Lucas Cranach. And this is one of the first images in the history of Western art where Jesus is welcoming the children. Because in medieval art, you had Jesus like the baby nursing, right, with the breast of Mary. Or you had Jesus as the judge um, talking, uh, you know, deciding who goes to heaven or hell. But this is one of the first paintings in Western art 
of the biblical passage that Jesus welcomed the children in, in the Reformation. And this perspective, by reading the Bible a little more closely and seeing Jesus' relation to children, Kranach opened up a new perspective, a fresh look, and reimagined what is the role of children in our communities. And you can see, whoa, they're up front and center. They are not marginalized. So I think we can all end with this question about what fresh conception of or more intentional commitment is really ready to blossom in your work today, in your life today. What biblical passages can open up a fresh perspective on your view of children and your commitments to them. The contents of this podcast episode are reproduced by permission of the presenter and Faith Forward under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivations copyright. The Faith Forward podcasts are produced by Dave Sinis. Please stay tuned for more episodes of the Faith Forward 2015 podcast series on the web at faith-forward.net and join the movement at the 2016 Faith Forward Gathering, April 18th through 21st in Chicago.